So, have you ever been bored? Ever been bored? Ever, ever been stuck at home with nothing to do? Anybody making a connection? You, you feeling me a little bit? Maybe over the last few weeks, your boredom has reached new heights. Maybe in the last few weeks, you've played cards with your houseplants. Maybe you took some tweezers and you de-seeded a strawberry. Yeah. Maybe you decided to do something a little different with your hair and, and it didn't work out exactly like you thought it would. Maybe you started making pancakes in the shape of Baby Yoda. Maybe that's your, your new thing as you are bored. Or maybe you put an Amazon box on your head just so you can smile. Yeah, yeah. maybe that's you. Incidentally, all of those are from the old worldwide interweb. Yep, those are things that people have actually done the last few weeks. So, is boredom bad? Well, here's the thing. Boredom can lead to addictions and an attitude of depression. For instance, if you are going to the fridge every 15 minutes to get another round of apple fritter yogurt, because you're forgetting that 15 minutes ago you already went and got a round of apple fritter yogurt, you might be moving into a world of apple fritter yogurt addiction. It might be happening. Or maybe one morning you ate so many lemon crisp fun-sized Kit Kats that you lost count. I mean, you stopped somewhere around 23. You know, you just lost count. Yeah. And here's the thing. Truth is, when you're long quarantine hair starts smelling like apples because you're eating so much apple fritter yogurt, or when your baggy sweatpants become spandex, those types of addictions will lead to a sense of depression. In other words, what we want to do is not let boredom get ahead of us. Don't let boredom take over. So, is there any cure for boredom? Well, this week I did a lot of reading on boredom and came across a lot of advice, and there are some false cures for boredom. There's the false cure of, of food and drink, because it works for a little bit, you know, I mean, it helps our mind, it's a reward for our mind and our body, but, but then it kind of goes away quickly. The reward fades quickly, and, and it demands more cookies, more cookies, you know. Or there's also the false cure for boredom that's in the form of, of TV or social media or video games. And again, this is a reward that lasts a little longer, you know, because of the time that it involves. But, but then when it's over, if we stop or if we pause, then, then that demand is there. More binge time, more game time, more scroll time. There's another way that I have read about as a cure for boredom, and, and it's really the best way, it seems, and that's what's called real-life action. <laughs> Elementary, my dear Watson, right? Yeah, real-life action. Well, here's the thing about real-life action. It's not easy, okay? It's not as easy as, as your TV or social media or video games. It's not as easy as just getting something to eat or, or getting an apple fritter yogurt. You know, it's not easy, but even though it's a little harder, it's a little more difficult to do, it is more rewarding. It doesn't just reward you in the moment. It actually builds strength and encouragement in your life as you do it. So, what is some real life action? 
Well, work, you know. Work if you actually have to still go to your job, if you're an essential worker, or working from home, or doing school from home, or even working in the yard. Work is one of those ways. Reading is another way. You know, reading is something that stimulates your mind and your heart. It it builds strength and encouragement. Exercise, by all means, is one of those things that, that builds in our lives. Maybe playing some cards or or playing some board games, or even learning something new. All of these things are things that are practical in helping us progress. Or put another way, there is a progression away from boredom. When we are doing real-life action, we are progressing away from boredom. One author, Stephen Guise, says this, Real-life progression is slower than Candy Crush, but it doesn't become irrelevant when you put your phone down. Isn't that the kicker right there? Isn't that what we want? We we really are wanting something that's not irrelevant when we put our phone down. We, We want something that matters. Our souls want something that matters. So is there something like that? The Apostle Paul was writing to some folks in Rome And he gave them this one thought, this one fact, this one truth that they could build their whole life on. This one fact, this one truth, the kind of truth that works and changes and transforms and helps our mind no matter what moment we're in, no matter what's happening, no matter where we are. What kind of fact is that? Well, let's find out. We turn our attention to Romans chapter 6, verse 9. Paul says this. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, no matter what is happening, no matter where we are, no matter what's going on, the resurrection of Jesus can change that moment. The resurrection of Jesus can crush our boredom, our addiction, our depression, our fear, our frustration, our confusion, our anxiety, our stress, and our misery. That's a pretty big claim. So how do we know it's for real? Well, part of it goes back to the very first word in the statement there, knowing. The original language of this word is not just knowing something, It's being absolutely positive about something. So how can we be absolutely positive about the resurrection of Jesus? Well, there's historical evidence, there's practical evidence, there's archaeological evidence, there's biblical evidence, there's there's all types of evidence that point to the reality that Jesus was raised from the dead. And here's just some sound bites, some, some thoughts that surround some of that evidence. Jesus himself testified that he would rise from the dead. Some women, they went to the tomb where Jesus was buried, and when they got there, the tomb was empty. And in ancient times, women were not allowed to be witnesses in court because they were considered non-reliable. They, they couldn't be relied on to be witnesses. But the disciples in the early church, they honored God and honored those women, and they said, yeah, these women are credible witnesses. The disciples were hiding like scared kittens before and after the crucifixion. But then suddenly, it seemed like overnight, they became as bold as a lion. What happened? The church was 
not full of cool, powerful, connected people, and yet the church grew like crazy, and it still impacts history today. 30 years after the crucifixion, Paul said the risen Jesus appeared to him and saved him. And the eyewitnesses of the resurrection, they don't have the qualities and characteristics of people who are deceptive. So those are just some sound bites, some things that, that point to the reality that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Those things, I think, create a, a gracious and fair argument that it is not irrational. In fact, it is reasonable to believe in the resurrection. But ultimately, the historical and the practical and the archaeological and the biblical evidence, even though it is very persuasive, may not convince someone that Jesus has been raised from the dead. They might hear that evidence, they might read that evidence, they might see that evidence, and they might ignore it. They might reject it. They might say, well, it's still questionable, it's inconclusive. They might say, I can't be absolutely positive that Jesus was really raised from the dead. Joshua Swamidas is an MD, PhD, scientist, physician, an associate professor of laboratory and genomic medicine at Washington University in St. Louis. I feel smarter just for saying those things. Joshua, a few weeks ago, wrote an article about the resurrection. And there's a few things that he said that I think are super helpful. He, he talked about, as a scientist, he has to yield to the fact that science is full of trust-like faith. In other words, these grand ideas, these amazing things that we learn from science, they're all based on accounts from trusted sources. He plays it out like this and explains it with this way. He says, mass is energy. Time slows with gravity and acceleration. The earth moves around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. In principle, this is all reproducible, but just in principle, he says. If we personally verified and reproduced every experiment ourselves, science would grind to a complete halt. Yes, we are skeptical and regularly challenge accepted theories, but we usually trust other scientists' reports of what they have seen. Did, did you catch that? Science requires faith. Faith in the eyewitnesses. Faith in the accounts that have been given. It's part of how science works. So then he takes those ideas about evidence and he puts them and applies them to the resurrection. This is what he says. The question of the resurrection is more like an opportunity to fall in love than a scientific inquiry. There is evidence, but the resurrection cannot be studied dispassionately. He goes on, if Jesus really rose from the dead, it reorders everything. Just like falling in love, it changes our view of the world. The evidence is compelling, but not definitive. Faith in Jesus is reasonable and is certainly not without evidence. And then he says this, so we are left with an invitation. Will we too believe? Will we be curious? Will we respond with trust? So that's the question for you. Will you believe? Have you responded 
to Jesus? Have you heard the gospel? Have you heard the, the evidence that surrounds the whole story of Jesus? And have you repented? And are you believing? And have you fallen in love with Jesus? Or have you heard the evidence, but you're ignoring it? Or you're rejecting it. Or you've heard the evidence, you've heard the gospel, but, but you're saying the whole thing is still questionable. It's still inconclusive, and you can't be absolutely positive that it's true. Someone has said this, that, that men and women and boys and girls, there are certain things that they cannot understand unless they are a child of God. There's a lot of truth in that. A lot of truth in the reality that to understand some things, we have to understand God. We have to be in relationship with Him. Part of what it means to know Jesus is that you know Jesus. <laughs> Part of what it means to be absolutely positive that Jesus has been raised from the dead is that you know Jesus. You are in a relationship with Him. You are a child of God. Paul did not say that someone emailed him a science lesson on the road to Damascus. No, Paul said that the risen Jesus, the risen Jesus appeared to him on the road, gave the truth about himself, and then saved him. The invitation that is offered is it's not hard, it's not difficult. The invitation is simply this, the risen Jesus has this gospel to tell, and it's, and it's kind of this simple. Jesus died for your sins. Will you believe that truth? By faith, will you believe, and will you fall in love with Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth, also properly known as the Son of God, died for your sins. He was buried in a tomb owned by a man named Joseph of Arimathea. Three days later, by the power of God, he was raised from the dead. And his death and his resurrection has made a way for things to be right between you and God. And whoever believes in and trusts in and relies on and clings to Jesus and his truth will not perish, will not be spiritually destroyed, but rather instead will receive eternal, everlasting life. Will you believe in that? Will you respond to that? Will you, by faith, repent of sin, believe in Jesus, and fall in love with Him? If so, then the resurrection becomes that one fact, that one truth, that no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what's going on, that one truth, that one fact can change everything in a moment. How? Listen to what Paul goes on to say in the rest of verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Jesus died, but he did not stay dead. He rose from the grave. And not only did Jesus not stay dead, he cannot and will not die again. It is impossible for him to die again. Jesus, by definition, is now the master of death. He holds the keys to death and hell. Death has no final authority over Jesus. 
You've heard people tell stories about having what we call a, a near-death experience. It goes something like this. Well, the doctor said that I had died, but, but I saw a light, and then, then I came back to life. Look, I, I can't vote for or against their story, but I can tell you this, that anyone who has a story like that, that they have come back to life, the reality of their story ends like this, that all of us will die for sure. Except Jesus. Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has conquered the grave. Jesus cannot and will not die again. So what? What does that mean for someone who's believing in Jesus? What does that mean for someone who's seen the evidence, they've heard the gospel, and they're believing in Jesus, they're following after Jesus? What does it mean for the person who believes in the crucifixion, they believe in the resurrection, they have repented, they have fallen in love with Jesus. What does the reality that Jesus will never die again mean? Well, think of it this way. If Jesus had been killed by a Roman soldier or a rival religious leader three days after he rose from the grave, then there's not much of a story to tell today, is there? I mean, really, if, if Jesus died again after he rose again, I mean, Easter is a lie and a hoax. It's a huge waste of time and money. Why? Because if Jesus died again, then we have no hope. If Jesus died again, or we could even say if Jesus were to die again, then the people who sing songs to him and the people that put crosses up in their front yard to honor him and the people that take juice and bread and, and remember him, those people are all sad fools. Because if Jesus died again, that means they will die and there's nothing. Nothing. No beauty, no joy, no happiness, no peace, no love. No life. If Jesus died, there's, there's nothing but death. But if Christ is risen, if Jesus is still alive, that means we are not honoring the orders of a president or a governor or a queen or a king or a politician or a pastor or a parent or a policeman. It means that we are honoring the orders of, we are obeying the commands of, we are friends with the Master. The one, the only one, who holds the keys to sin and death and hell. Dear Christian, we are with Him. We are with Christ. It's like he's our big brother and he's already gone ahead into the dark, terrifying forest and, and now he's come back. And he said, look, I've, I've already gone. I've already scoped everything out. I know what's happening and I've come back to get you and I'm going to get you safely home. Sin and death and hell no longer have dominion or authority over Jesus. And sin and death and hell no longer have authority over you, dear Christian, because you are with Christ. You're with Him. You're with Him. Let me ask you a very uncomfortable question. Are you afraid to die? 
about two years ago, I was really struggling. And I think if, if any of my closest friends would have asked me that question, I probably would have said, yeah, I, I think I am. And around that time, I, I began to listen to a, a podcast. And on that podcast, one of the, the hosts, a pastor and theologian, he, he made a statement about how his fear of death was, was somewhat paralyzing. I'm riding down the road and my ears perked up. He goes, yeah, I kind of have a paralyzing fear of dying. And his friend and co-host almost immediately interrupted and said something like, no, you don't. I appreciate the bold, gracious confrontation. And they, they went on to say this, you're not afraid of dying, you're afraid of how you're going to die. And I remember driving around going, oh yeah, yeah I, I think that's what I'm thinking. I think that's what's going on in my mind. See, I would hope that, that generally speaking, Christians, because of the gospel, because of our hope in Christ, because of the resurrection, that, that we would not be afraid of dying. Whether, no matter what our death is caused by, whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's a heart attack or skin cancer or, or old age or whatever. But how we are going to die might put us a little bit on the edge, right? Because how we're going to die involves pain and difficulty, and anxiety, and stress, and money. It's, it's going to be messy on the schedules of our kids. It's going to be messy on the, the school schedules of our grandkids. I, I mean, I'm just being honest for us, right? That there's something about how we're going to die that, that feels messy and, and stressful. But if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, then, then I pray that that these words would just grab your heart, grab your mind, and give you encouragement. Listen to him again. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. If you're believing in and clinging to Jesus, at the very least, you can be confident that your big brother is going to get you home. If you're a follower of Jesus, then I, I want you to listen very closely to these comments. According to the scripture, death is no longer master over Jesus. Therefore, because you are with Christ, because you are in Christ, there is no more misery because death is no longer master over you. According to the scriptures, death no longer has dominion and authority over Jesus. Therefore, because you are in Christ, because you're with Christ, there is no more misery because death no longer has dominion and authority over you. None. And let me just try to connect that a bit with, with kind of a current event thought here. I have not relinquished an ounce of my religious freedom by honoring our leaders, by staying home as much as I possibly can, and by practicing social distance. Not, not an ounce. In fact, I am fully living in my religious freedom in the midst of social distancing, in the midst of sheltering at home because I am obeying Jesus and loving my neighbor in the same way that I love myself, in the same way that I love my wife, in the same way that I love my kids. 
And there is no executive order that the President of the United States or the Governor of South Carolina can issue that ultimately has any impact on my religious freedom because my religious freedom is in Christ and Christ alone. Therefore, no disease and no executive order and no lost job and no canceled sports season and nothing else in the world can ever change the fact that death has no dominion over me. Just just chew on that for a second. To be in Christ is everything. It's everything. I think it's hard for us to remember that. But here's the thing. Because all that's true, that's why we say this. The resurrection of Jesus immediately and consistently has the power to crush our boredom and our addiction and our depression and our fear, and our frustration, and our confusion, and our stress, and our anxiety, and our misery. That is how powerful it is, and that's why we do everything we can to, by faith, keep fighting the good fight. On this week, when we're ready for it to be over, when we're saying things like, this can't go on, we we have to stop, in those moments, we stop our hearts and we stop our minds and we say, wait a minute, by faith, I'm gonna keep fighting to believe in Jesus. I'm gonna keep fighting to fall in love with Jesus. I'm gonna keep fighting to text my soul these words. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. Christ is risen from the dead. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. Christ is risen from the dead. You know, over the last few weeks, if there's anything we've learned, we've learned that we live in an uncertain world. But we've learned that firsthand, right? But in the middle of all this uncertainty, there is this amazing, certain sure thing that we can be absolutely positive about. And that's this. That if Jesus Christ has rescued and redeemed you, then death and sin and hell and darkness and misery no longer have dominion over you. No more. No more. Luma Sims was born in Baghdad, Iraq. She has a degree in physics, went to law school, stepped away from law school to raise her five kids. She currently works at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. Her father first shared the gospel with her when she was in a train station in Greece when she was very young. But by her own confession, the gospel just seemed hollow to her. This is what she said. I used to be a Christian who didn't think about Jesus. I was bored with him. I remember telling my husband one day that I was tired of hearing him say, Jesus loves you, Luma. It all seemed trite and superficial. I wanted, I needed something deeper. 
Something more challenging to my mind, more impactful than Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And she tried. She she tried to find something more impactful. She tried to find something deeper. And eventually she ended up like a lot of us have felt this week, overwhelmed with boredom or confusion or frustration or stress or anxiety or fear or worry or concern or anger. But then Luma shared this. At the end of hope, feeling and believing myself to be on the receiving end of the hot displeasure and disappointment of a holy God, I crashed. Have you crashed this week? This is going to sound big time discouraging, but hang with me. If you didn't crash this week, you might crash this afternoon. You might crash Tuesday morning. You might crash in a couple of weeks. We're human. We're not perfect. We have meltdowns. We're going to crash. But when we crash, what happens? Listen to what Lima shares. And then, when there was nothing left of me, there was Jesus. Savior, Redeemer, friend. No displeasure, no disappointment. Just the blazing fire of unmerited grace. How do you go from being bored with Jesus to resting in the arms of his amazing unmerited grace? Here's how. The only way that can happen is because of the resurrection. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. Christ is risen from the dead. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. Christ is risen from the dead. There is nothing boring about that.